We're back, and we're going to be talking about Sundance 2019. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 23 of LAOFCS Weekly. I am back. I am back from Sundance, along with two other people from the LAOFCS who were at Sundance with me. I am the only one who got sick, though, at Sundance. These lucky (laughs) ones did not. So uh, I, of course, am Scott Menzel, uh, and joining me today is Morgan and Stephen. Uh, Stephen, let's start with you. Uh, Where can the nice people find you? Uh, I'm at a site called The Movable Fest, uh, www.movablefest.com. And Morgan? I am at Cinemacy.com. Okay. So um, the reason why Morgan and Stephen are on board with us today is because not only are they wonderful members of this organization and true talents, but because they are some of the biggest indie fans I know. And I figured since we're talking about Sundance and everyone always talks about the big movies that come out of Sundance, there's always a, always a lot of smaller films, too, that come out of Sundance that don't get too much buzz. So I figured they would be great people to have on to talk a little bit about that. So we're going to do just a general overview of Sundance, how we felt about it, um, pretty much from top to bottom, some of the movies that played there. What were the best? What were the worst? As well as just our, our general thoughts and feelings about the event and how it compared to previous years that we went. Um, so let's start off with the positives. Um, overall, how did you feel this Sundance was in comparison to the years past? Um, well, this year I wasn't at Sundance for as long, so I felt like I had to cram a lot of things in. So it was more of a business trip as opposed to like business pleasure trip as in years past. Um, but I thought the movies I saw for the most part were strong. They were bold. There was a couple films that I wasn't like particularly sold on, which we'll talk about later, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the the talent was strong overall, and the the representation of female directors was really strong this year, and that was like su- something I was super excited to see. How about for you, Steve? Absolutely. Well, no, I I really had a good time. I um, I saw a lot of films that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I'm not sure how many, like, knockouts there were, but at the same time, I really, when people have asked me, there really are only a couple movies that I didn't enjoy, and um, I really, uh, like Morgan, the representation was remarkable. I mean, you were stepping into one different world after another, you know, every time you walked into a movie theater. So, I yeah, no, I think it was a really good festival overall. Yeah, I, it's it's funny. I, I kind of fall exactly where you guys are. Um, I don't know how many movies I walked out of with like going like, you know, but I didn't hate as much this year. There, there, and and the two that I didn't really like, I wouldn't even put like that far down, like on a hate level. I would just say like they were really disappointing and didn't live up mm-hmm. to my expectations. That being said representation you know Sundance made such an initiative this year to not only reach out to other press to go to this event but to reach out to filmmakers and there was something very special about that this year Um, I mean right even right off the bat with Native Son which was one of the first movies that I I think all of us saw at the festival Mm -hmm. you know that kind of set the set the bar I think pretty high for the rest of the festival um, did you guys see Native Son? If so, can we talk a little bit about that? Let's yeah, you, Morgan. I did, and I wrote some notes down. Okay, no referencing. problem. Um, yeah, so I saw Native Son, and it, I thought, yeah, the perfect first film to open the festival. It was, yeah, the directorial debut from Rashid Johnson, and it was so punk rock and cool. It, it was a, the kind of film that like I would be drawn to just aesthetics wise uh the music was awesome the classical music and and the punk rock aspect was super cool the the look of the film was neat but also i really loved the fact how it kind of felt like two different movies the first half was kind of this calm cool collected beginning and then this major thing happens and the second half of is this kind of horror film where i was physically uncomfortable for 45 minutes which I kind of liked as a first Sundance film like for 2019 it yeah I think it it set the bar pretty high yeah 
How about you, Stephen? You see Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Well, you know, to that point, I I probably was less of a fan of it than you two, but I you know, I still really enjoyed it. I I love the I actually love the thriller aspect of it more. I I thought that the thriller aspect almost didn't exactly coalesce with the more socially conscious aspect of it. But yeah, no, I thought Ashton Sanders was extraordinary, and um, I, I do hope as many people get to see it. I, I know this was sold to HBO, ultimately, so I hope that they do a theatrical for it, because it really was a big screen experience. Yeah, I, you know, this was the second film I saw at Sundance. The first one was After the Wedding, which um, I, I actually completely forgot, because <laughs> it was just, that was a forgettable film. But this one, uh, I remember we, we, we talked right after it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's, it's a jarring film. It's a film that, like, the first half is radically different than the second half. And uh, I know that shift in tone may not appeal to everyone. Um, but I appreciate the bold choices that uh, Johnson made with, the, with filming this. Um, I also got, which is also kind of rare when you see a movie that's based on a book is that those who involved with this movie felt very passionate about the source material, even though they had to change it for the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I have not read this book. Uh, my wife read this book and said that they did a lot of changes, but she felt that they were necessary and that they brought it up to date to feel very relevant to today. So... Um, I want to also say that Kiki Lane, who, you know, I feel has been very overlooked for If Beale Street Can Talk this year, uh, she gives another phenomenal performance in this film, and uh, I think she's she's definitely a talent on the rise. Yeah. Yeah, it had Get Out vibes, too, I felt, um, which was, I loved that movie, so kind of any sort of sprinkle of that was cool. Yeah. I, I, I agree with the Get Out vibes. I, I feel like... The way that this film kind of comes to conclusion, they had one or two ways they can go with it. And I don't know how I felt about the way that it actually ended. Um, Did you guys like the ending of this movie? See, this is where it sort of lost me because okay. I, I okay. loved I loved the thriller aspect of this. And, and I think that it sort of felt like they needed to do something important towards the end and didn't quite it wasn't quite satisfying as a it then became not quite as satisfying as a thriller because they felt they needed to go more serious with it and vice versa it wasn't quite it wasn't quite as satisfying as a serious film either because it had sort of the it it just like morgan said it, it felt like two movies that were sort of coinciding at least for me they they were sort of parallel to each other and they didn't quite you know intersect the way that i would have liked yeah i'm not surprised it ended that way but i personally probably would have liked to see something a little different um especially if that's not how the book necessarily ends which i haven't read yet um yeah i'd i'd be curious to know kind of the different yeah ways it could have ended i feel like the ending which weird because the movie is very not a stereotypical movie. It's, mm. it's very unique and it's very different in, in terms of everything about it, from the visual style to the characters. And I feel like the way that it kind of came to a close just felt like something that, especially this past year in film, just felt very much like a lot of the same. Mm-hmm. And 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 I couldn't help but you know thinking about it for a couple of days and thinking about the messages. But the the last few moments of the film just just it feel, felt a little bit like a cop out, and and it's a shame because I was really on board with the movie for like ninety five percent of it, and I really did enjoy it for the most part. It's just that when it came to a close, it just like it's like uh, of course that would happen kind of thing, and and it's like this is not the way the rest of the movie was. Like the rest of the movie was not of course this would happen. It was kind of like whoa, where's this going now? Yeah, and then. And he's like, oh, that's that's how it's gonna go. All right. So I don't know. That's just my feeling. Um, what's uh, let's let's go back to you, Morgan. What's 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 a movie that really stood out? What was your favorite? Oh, okay, that's an easy one for me okay. to answer. My favorite was Honey Boy. Okay, I loved Honey Boy. I couldn't stop thinking about it, and yeah, I think that played the second day I was at Sundance, and so I just couldn't get it off of my mind. I think Alma Harrell is so talented. And Shia LaBeouf surprised me. Like, the fact that he wrote 
this script as his first feature, I, yeah, it blew me away. And, and yeah, I was absolutely, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I, I was completely dreading this movie, knowing that Shia LaBeouf wrote it and that it was based on this this writing that I guess he did as part of a court order <laughs> mandate. And um, I just thought it, it was going to be really, really difficult to watch him on screen playing his own father. And um, and I realized, boy, I should have trusted more in Alma Harrell, who has these two extraordinary documentaries behind her and, you know, makes one really, really just incredible narrative debut with this. I am with you 100%. <laughs> I walked, I walked in, you know, I wanted to see it because I love Lucas Hedges and, and I love Noah Jupe. Both of those were reasons that I saw this movie. When I saw that Shia LaBeouf was the writer on this, I was like... This is going to be some meta <laughs> bullshit. It's going to be this like laughable, like, I'm so gifted kind of thing. Yeah. And I was so blown away by the film because it had so much heart and realness to it. And so many layers to these characters. Yeah. And just scenes that just stick with you and were just so emotionally raw. That I just never thought I would see that from Shia LaBeouf, like in his right, and it, and, and no discredit to Alma because like she she directs the hell out of it, but the movie wouldn't have worked without a script. It wouldn't have worked because it was just the the performances just felt so real because the words of that they were saying. Well, and something else I thought about this that that kind of blew my or something else that was interesting was that how. Shia LaBeouf must have internalized his own experience as a child actor in working with Noah Jupe yeah. as sort of an additional director, not to take anything away from Omar Harrell, but like what the chemistry between the two of them must have been like to facilitate. I mean, because Noah Jupe is just extraordinary in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I and, and it's funny, too, because I didn't I, I was unaware that Noah Jupe was British until they showed the thing <laughs> the second. The Q&A. Yeah, the, you see the Q&A or the, the video the day after. And, and yeah, no, it was it was just a mind blowing performance to me. Yeah, I think he's a he's a young actor, definitely on the rise. I mean, even I don't know if you guys liked Quiet Place, but I loved mm-hmm. a Quiet Place, and he yeah. he was just fantastic in that movie. Um, people hated Suburbicon, but I thought he was great in Suburbicon too. Um, yeah, I was just really really surprised um, by how much I appreciated this film. Um, what do you think of the style and the direction of it? Did you like the the opening scene that that kind of like felt almost like its own movie. Yeah, I I did. I liked how it kind of differentiated between the characters with the clapboard. I thought that was really cool. Um, The whole piece kind of felt like this intimate ballet dance in a way. And that all kind of, I think, culminates too when FKA Twiggs' character is doing the baseball scene with uh, Noah Jupe's character. And the whole thing just felt so personal which it was but it even connected with me who is not a former child actor whose dad wasn't abusive like it i i think i cried like twice in this movie just because i could relate to it even though i i literally couldn't it was yeah so well done just all around i think yeah steven what was your uh, favorite movie of the fest you know, um, coming back to it, I, I think it's probably got to be The Farewell. Um, Lulu Wang's, uh, it's it's based on, as they say in the opening title credit, uh, is it, it's based on a true lie or, yeah. or something <laughs> to that degree. And, and yeah, it's, um, she, uh, she takes this story of her grandmother who uh, has who's given a terminal diagnosis but the thing is is that the family becomes because of chinese tradition the family is informed of this bad uh, of this terminal diagnosis and decides not to tell the grandmother that she only has so long to live and so they go in the family descends upon the uh, the family descends upon china uh, um part of the family Part of the family, including Aquafina, who's the lead character, is based in New York, and uh, they go, they all go into China for a wedding under the pretense of a wedding, but they're actually there to sort of say their goodbye to the grandmother. And I, I just thought it was a really, really beautiful film. 
and, and funny and um, and just really ex- I it, it was really a beautiful look at China that I hadn't seen before on screen I don't think did you get to see that one I didn't that's oh, okay. the one I regret not making I think out of all the films that played there I think this is the one that has the staying power yeah. throughout the year the one that you're going to constantly hear come up um, I it's that is either, I'm so torn between my first and second with this, and and this this is definitely up there for me. Um, what's interesting about this film for me, and we won't we won't spoil any of it for you, Morgan, <laughs> is um, it's a look at culture, but one that's sort of like I, I hate to compare this, but like you know, Crazy Rich Asians. Um, you know, when that movie came out, you know, like everyone was like all over it, like, oh my God, 20 years, you know, this never happened before, you know, and then open in China and like, everyone's like, I don't care about this movie, you know, and it, and this one I think has a very universal appeal where I think like it, the, the audience in China is going to really gravitate towards this film and the people in America gravitate towards this film because what it does is it looks at both sides of the culture. It looks at the American Chinese culture. And it looks at actual Chinese culture and how the two differ. And the themes that kind of get addressed in this film about whether lying about a diagnosis is an ethical thing to do is really the the pivotal point of the film. And there's a constant debate throughout the movie about that. And I feel like that is what really elevates this film. And then when you have Aquafina not doing her wild and crazy thing, and she's just kind of like she has those moments where she gets like loud and obnoxious and fun. But then she has these simple, heartfelt moments where she's sitting there. Uh, what is it? Nene, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. she's sitting there talking to her Nene. And it's just the back and forth banter of like, oh, I believe in you. You're, not, you're selling yourself short and all that stuff. And the grandmother being a typical grandmother, again, universal theme. Instead of worrying about herself, she's always worrying about someone else. And I just, I, I just love the feeling of family that this movie had and that this is a movie that we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier, like you were mentioning, Morgan, where you, you don't – the movie's not personal to you, right? Like uh, in terms of, you know, like Honey Boy was not a personal movie to you. You don't relate to a, a father who's abusive or, you know, being a child star. But this movie has – that movie, like this one, has such universal appeal that you can kind of like – feel the emotion and and in some weird way you kind of feel connected to all these characters and i just thought it was i thought it was one of the best the best movies to come out of sundance this year um i thought it was a little odd choice that a24 picked it up um but you know hopefully they'll I think that's the Aquafina factor. I mean, you I think, think so? they know her stars on the rise, and and yeah, no, I I would actually guess she's going to be up for awards later this year. So, she's sort of the uh, Trojan horse through which this. I mean, it it is mostly in Chinese. So, yes. Um, I but I I think that that's really going to be the breakthrough to the American marketplace is having Aquafina front and center and able to promote the film do you know what uh oh it's what country is really like is it is a- it a24 china actually bought all of the rights except for china so i think china has um a different distributor than a24 or oh, okay. china i was just wondering if do you think it's going to be released under an american film or as a foreign film oh that's an interesting that's question. what i don't that's what i don't know yeah i'm not sure either because i'm i'm kind of curious because if a foreign film, I feel like it can go the, really go the distance. If it's a regular film, I don't know if it can go as far. I think there is China money, though, in it. So they could perhaps, you know, accept... I mean, the foreign language uh, category is kind of arcane, but the nation has to pick the film. So that is a possibility, I would guess. Interesting. But, Morgan, I definitely recommend you check this movie yeah. out when you can. Oh gosh, I, I, I know. I think, it's, I think it's one of the uh, the best things to come out of Sundance this year. Cool. Um, another film that I think we, we have to have a conversation about, and, Morgan, mm-hmm. you, you can talk a little bit about your interview, ah. uh, was uh, Jennifer Ken's follow-up to The Babadook, The Nightingale. Yes. So The Nightingale is not like The Babadook at all. No. <laughs> Which I kind of didn't realize. Like, going into it... Um, I went with my brother and we're thinking, oh, this is going to be like a cool horror film. The Nightingale is horrific. (laughs) It's not a horror film per se. 
But no, it I loved it. It was long, it was dramatic and gritty, but so good. And it was a look at female rage from a female director, uh, Jennifer Kent, who was kind of explaining that this movie is set in the 1800s in Australia, but it's not supposed to be a period piece. It's supposed to be a story that is still relevant today. And it's it's kind of a warning tale also. Like, this happened long ago, the abuse of women, uh, murder, rape, all these terrible things. And if we don't tell these stories, even though they're really uncomfortable and we don't necessarily want to make movies like this because they're hard to watch, but if we don't do it, these things will continue. And so her perspective on the Nightingale was was that. And, like, this is female rage, and if a woman is scorned, this is what she can and will do. So, like, watch out. Yeah. I I unfortunately didn't get the chance to see it, so I can be jealous of this one. Oh, but you didn't see it? Everybody in line told... I mean, it, I think it's going to be a hit just based on everybody telling me in line that this is the most... This is the nastiest, grisliest thing that you could possibly mm-hmm. see. It's interesting you mention that. Because I would actually disagree. I think what I like about this movie and what made it so much more effective is the way that Jennifer Kent handled these brutal depictions of rape. She did not... There's no nudity in this movie whatsoever. It just focuses on on an act happening, and it just... The camera sits there while it happens. And it makes the audience use their imagination. Yeah, it's just As, the face that the camera yeah, gets, right? Just it's like, just the face. And you just you just you feel that. You you don't need to see what's going on. It was it's one of the reasons why I felt like the first season of 13 Reasons Why worked so well is mm-hmm. that you have all these hints of what's going on, but it's never really shown. So you get to see this just this woman suffering and you get to see these things play out in the movie, but it's not done in a graphic way. Mm-hmm. So to me, that makes it more powerful because I got to think in my mind what's really happening and how traumatic this experience is for this woman that I'm watching. And I get to see that close up of her face when she's crying or as she's upset. And I, I mean, I looked at my like 30 minutes in. I mean, this is the most brutal 30 minutes, the initial 30 minutes of this movie. I mean, it's just, it just, you just, you're like, oh my God. Like, you literally, like, you wish, like, where's my flask? I need something because yeah. it's like, it's really heavy. And then the movie continues on and it kind of goes into more of the revenge tale of it, you know. Um, but that's what I also love. So you, you first you have this woman's storyline and you're really, you really, you, you, you feel horrible for her and everything that she's been through. And then they add on the slavery aspect of the film where not only is this woman a slave, but then there's actually like this, this black character that's introduced who is you know, kind of hired to go on this journey, to take her through this journey. And at first, those two, like, don't hit it off. And they have this this co- weird conversation where, like, they, you know, it's like almost like, who's got it worse off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, this is constant back and forth. It's like, well, were your ancestors treated treated like this? And, like, did this ever happen to you? And as the movie goes on, you, you watch how those two characters are pretty much more or less the same. Mm-hmm. And... I, I I can't you know this is not for everyone definitely not a movie for everyone and I don't I don't think it's going to be a massive hit I think it's it's going to be a, a very quiet release but I think it's going to have cult status and I think a lot of people are going to love this movie but it's not an easy watch it's two and a half hours yeah. but I mean Jennifer Kent I mean she is a filmmaker who I mean just you know get I, I if I had money I'd give her money to make like two or three more movies right now. Totally. Yeah, I think the Sundance programmer even said before the premiere, like, okay, guys, be warned. This is a tough watch. Like, <laughs> just heads up. So, I, yeah, it, it's unforgettable, though. I mean, it that's really a movie is. that, like, I will never get out of my mind. Yeah, that's actually going to be the tagline for my review, a haunting and unforgettable masterpiece, because it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite movie to come out of the festival, I don't know, did you see this one, Morgan, was Britney Runs a Marathon? No. No. Um, this is another one where I think has, this is one that I have 
a feeling has m- massive appeal. Like, I think this has mainstream appeal. Uh, a lot of the movies that come out of Sundance, I don't think have really wide audience appeal. This is one that I do. Um, it stars Jillian Bell, and it's based on a true story of the director, Paul Down... Oh, how do you pronounce Paul, his name? Uh, Paul Co- Down Colasio? Colasio, oh. yep. Okay. Um, he's the director. He was actually a playwright, mm-hmm. and this is his first film. And he based this movie on his friend, uh, his friend Brittany, who was also there at Sundance promoting the movie. And it stars Jillian Bell, who is an is a comedian who... I'm going to be 100% honest. I have not found funny whatsoever. I mean, she was in Rough Night and, like, the office no. Christmas party. And I'm like, what is this woman doing? She's she's, But, man, she made me a fan with this movie. She made me a fan. And it's a really simplistic story. It's just about a 20-something who, you know, she thinks she's, she thinks she's really funny, but no one treats her with respect. And then, you know, she, she, she goes to the doctor one day and she finds out that, you know, she's not in the best of shape and that she doesn't make good life decisions. And she slowly starts turning her life around and she makes friends with some people who she didn't expect to make friends with. And then certain people who she thought she was friends with turn out to be not the best for her. And it just, it's a character study in a lot of ways. But one that I feel like, anyone can relate to it's it's like you don't have to look at it as like oh hey i you know this movie's not going to work for me because i'm overweight this is this is just a movie about believing in yourself looking at your flaws and analyzing your life and how you live it and i think that's the reason why it connected with me so much so yes i can connect with the you know as someone who dealt with um Issues with my weight my entire life. Sure, I connect with it on this on that level. But the drive that this has, we can take it and apply it to film criticism. We can take it to being a sports player. We can take it to be an airline pilot. The movie is about following your dream and finding something that you're passionate about and that you want to get behind. And it's just mass with all these realistic and heartfelt moments and these ways that we die... Um, uh, not deflect. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like we kind of like throw our negative energy onto others and kind of like look at them and say like, oh, this woman looks this way. How could you be with her or something like mm-hmm. that? And I just think this movie does such a great job of everything. Absolutely. Well, one of my favorite things about it and, and one of the things that I found actually in a few other Sundance movies this year that seemed to be sort of emerged to me as a theme is this idea that, I mean, and it was inspirational in its way and I've never really seen it come out as much as it did this particular year, the idea that you're not alone in your struggle and that almost all, and, and there there were a number of films, I'm also thinking of, a movie called Sila and the Spades and um, Blinded by the Light as well, where you see the traditional hero's journey, but part of the obstacle of it is giving up some of their um, some of their struggle to other people and, and letting them in. And, you know, that's sort of what's empowering to them as well. Um, and I, I, Brittany runs a marathon. I was really surprised by, um, I really thought... I actually liked it almost more as a character study than as a comedy. And and I thought Jillian Bell's performance in it was really, really tremendous in that you really see the arc of her character um, in very, very subtle ways. I mean, you see, you know, her being this sort of outrageous personality on top, but then you see really the underneath as well. Um, and yeah, no, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's a real crowd pleaser. And what's, what's great about it is, is that there's just certain scenes of reflection throughout the film. Um, there's two that really stand out in this movie to me. There's a scene where she's arguing with her best friend who is obsessed with social media. And, you know, there's a, this fight scene and there's some words exchanged that are, are truly unforgivable. Unfor- I mean, the things that happen in that conversation, you, you can't just say those things and then walk away from the conversation. I thought that was a really eye-opening experience. Um, not only for the characters in the film, but for me, because you you kind of have those you have those fights sometimes with friends, and you kind of like you question at that point: Is this person really with my best interests? Are are they really 
are they really looking out for me? Are they really my friend? Or is it just something like where I'm just there because there's I'm filling a gap or a hole in their life right now that they can't. So that's one. And then the second scene, which I hinted upon a little bit earlier, is a scene with little little Ray uh, where they're celebrating his birthday. And this woman comes in and they're in Philadelphia. And the reaction that, you know, she's she's again, she's like looking at what she used to be like. And she's reflecting her own negative energy onto this poor woman. And that scene is just, it's horrible to watch. I mean, it's just, she, the way that she made, and she just keeps going. And, like, everyone at the table is, like, looking at her like, yo, what are you doing? And I love that the movie didn't just let that happen. That there was, like, this scene that happened afterwards where there was a conversation that occurred where it was like, you know what you did was really fucked up. And you should really look at yourself and you've got to let people in and you have to analyze what your life is like. And I, I, I this movie really stuck with me. I, it's it's one of those ones that I feel very passionate about. And again, it's 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 I've never ran a marathon. It, you know, it, like I said, you can take that aspect of this movie out and you just look at it like Steven said, take the comedy out. Just look at it as a character study and it works. So um, Morgan, what was something else that you saw that you really liked? That I really liked. I really liked Love Antosha, which was the Anton Yelchin documentary directed by Garrett Price and produced by Drake Doremus, who was a longtime collaborator with Anton. This was the only documentary that I saw at Sundance. And I'm it was a great one. I mean, I I've been a Anton fan for a long time, and when he unexpectedly passed away a couple years ago, it was heartbreaking. And I think the documentary did such a good job of being so optimistic, just like how Anton was in his everyday life. It, I mean, it revealed facts that I had no idea. Like, he made 69 movies, I think. I know. And he passed away at 27. So that's just, like, a ton of work. And the relationship with his family and with his mom, who was there um, on the red carpet, and we talked to them for a little bit, and they are still grieving i mean understandably so they yeah had tears in their eyes kind of introducing the film and afterward and yeah it was a a really bittersweet watch but really well done yeah did you see i I didn't get a chance i i almost didn't want to see this in public because i'm sure this just would have broken me (laughs) everyone was weeping it was like kleenex should have been handed out as they were passing out ballots like (laughs) i I agree with you i mean i it's rare for me to go into a documentary and actually learn something. And I feel like I, like I didn't know he was sick, you know, like how he was right. constantly battling with, uh, do you remember what it was, what it was? Um, it was, uh, it was, no, no, I don't, but it was something where like he had to go and do breathing treatments yeah, like and he stuff would get like that. In in between, his lungs. Yeah. And then he would have to keep going in between like shoots and stuff like that. And he couldn't be out for long periods of time, but like he didn't miss a single press day. He didn't miss a single day of work. Um, I mean, it was really a love letter to him, but a fascinating one kind of showing how he had so much untapped potential. Uh, you know, just, you know, the, the dark stuff about him going to like weird sex clubs and like, you know, doing photography in there. You know, I never knew that. You yeah, know, and in I the thought valley this was too. Like, yeah, like he's I, right around here. I thought he was like a, you know, like a nice little nerdy guy. But, you know, like he had like that, you know, he had that fascination with like, I guess, like, you know, it was funny because Chris was Chris Pine in the in the interview kept saying like he's like. He saw some weird shit. Yeah. Like, it's like, you're like, you know, you look at Anton Yeltsin, you're like, really? Anton Yeltsin? Okay. Like, I always thought, like, he's a nice, nerdy guy. Yeah. Like, you didn't, you didn't expect it, but um, he was also so incredibly talented and intelligent. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, that, if anything, walked away from this movie was that this was, this was someone who, if he was still with us, would probably have made some huge change oh, yeah. in the film community. I just feel like he was an un- untapped talent that, you know, 69 movies, like we were t- what you were saying, like, yeah. it's crazy. And um, I, I, I was very moved by this movie. It was, very, it was a hard watch. Um, it was a diff- difficult kind of seeing in the later years of the documentary, too, like where they were showing that, like, when he started feeling a little bit sicker and mm-hmm. things were starting to get a toll like on him. Getting thinner. And yeah. Everything. 
And it, it was weird because, um, did you notice, I, at some point this out to me, and like I was contacted a while ago and I didn't know this, but there's a small clip of my interview in, in the movie. I saw that, actually. Yeah. And yes. it was weird because... When I saw that, it's like when the movie went really dark. And yeah. I was like, what is going on? Like, why can't I be here during the happier parts? <laughs> yeah. It I think you're t- in the credits as well. <laughs> yeah. I, it, yeah. It's crazy. It went to, like, this dark little scene, like, where it's like, I asked him something along the lines of, like, how does he feel like that is his career is really starting to take off? And it's like, his reaction to that was kind of like, uh, like, is it really? And then the movie went into this dark tone of, like, oh, and then he got really <laughs> sick. And then he died. And I was like... I'm like, why did I have to be the person to lead this right. in? I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, just, but it was such a... It, it, you can tell the movie was made with such love and care. Yes. And that is... It wasn't a flashy documentary. Talking heads all over the place. But you learn something about him. And if you're a fan of his work, I think it's, it's, it's a beautiful love letter and a tribute. And I mean, his mm-hmm. mom and dad are probably, you know, as sad as it was for them to witness that. It's a wonderful, you know, homage to their, their, their son. Yeah. And yeah, the whole backstory of, of the film, too, is interesting. Just how the parents didn't want to make this movie at first because they didn't want to live themselves after Anton passed away. They just didn't see the point. And, and finally realizing that this was something they could do to, yeah, kind of immortalize him it was just, yeah, so powerful. So we'll move we'll move from from happiness or our great movies over to it's kind of like wishy washy not to, not too great. Um, Stephen, what what was you had two that you said you were like kind of let down by? Which ones were they? Um, you know, I went into the festival hoping that uh, I've been a huge fan of this director uh, Jacob Estes, for a long, long time. He made films uh, Mean Creek and uh, The Details, which both you know did really well at Sundance. And uh, yeah, he showed up with a movie called Relive with uh, David Oyelowo. Uh, David Oyelowo. <laughs> it's okay. You have the name, but uh, D- David Oyelowo. Um, and um, Storm Reed and um, called Relive that um, I just think was maybe not in the best shape to even come to a fest, I mean, to be presented publicly yet. I mean, it, it seems like a real, the editing on it seemed really, really sketchy, and um, I don't know whether they were pressured into it or, or how how this how the premiere came about, but it, it was just a disaster on every single level, I think. Um, and... Yeah, no. I, it, on the other hand, the, the Blumhouse brought a really, really great film, and it, it is a Blumhouse production. And they, I, I like to think in my head that they did that so that they could bring Sweetheart, which I thought was just oh, great. I'm glad you brought that up. I would have totally <laughs> forgot that Sweetheart was great. That that is a perfect example of less is more. Just, just this is a like a survival type movie. Girl stranded on a desert island, and uh, basically there's a monster in the water, and that's that's really all this movie is. Eighty two minutes works, absolutely. And no, it's it's such a cool, and they stay on the island. I mean, it's a it's just it's eighty two minutes of like pure tension. It, it's just great, and Kiersey Clemens is great as the lead in it. Um, no, that was a lot of fun. Um, I wasn't as high on uh, Late Night as other people also. I mean, I liked it, but um, I, I mean, I thought that it worked just fine. It, it was slightly disappointing, though. Um, and uh, the other one that sort of went a weird way, um, I loved the first, like, half hour or so of a movie called Animals with Aaliyah Shawkat and uh, Holiday Granger as these best friends who sort of have to separate once Holiday Granger's character has to, um, moves in with her, wants to move in with her boyfriend, but can't decide whether she wants to. And, and it just gets more and more complicated throughout the film. But, um, yeah, but honestly, those were, those were three movies out of like 35 that I saw that I can't recommend that. Mm. Yeah. The rest I, I like to really love, so I can't complain. Morgan, how about you? So the one movie that I, I was very confused by was this movie called Paradise Hills with um, Emma Roberts and Mila Jovovich mm-hmm. and Aquafina actually. Yeah. 
who was great, but I, I don't think she was used to her full potential at all. It was a very confusing movie. I saw it at a press and industry screening, and probably 25 people walked out. Um, it it just didn't really make sense. The script, the story didn't make sense. It was basically Emma Roberts' character who somehow gets sent to an island that's like a futuristic rehab, and she is trying to get out of this island, but she's held prisoner there with like her friends, and then there's like a floating car at one point. I don't know. It just like didn't make sense, and... Yeah, it, the production design and the quality was fantastic. Kind of was like um, Coachella meets Alice in Wonderland. Like it, it was visually very stunning, but just story wise, I, I can't even really explain what it was about. Like it just it it felt very disconnected. And this is this me. is what I like about having to describe the movies that didn't work for us yeah. is trying to logically <laughs> explain. Yeah, I could not tell you the plot for Relive to save yeah. my life. <laughs> It's funny because I actually liked Paradise Hills. Okay. And I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I thought it was just wacky and weird. Yes. But I, I agree. Al- but I also agree that like wacky and weird should not just be the reason why a movie exists. Um, I can also not explain that movie to you if you ask me to. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. You're right. She's. There's also something about clones, right? Something goes yeah. on about clones in the later half of the movie. Yes. And um, some of them look the same and some of them don't, right? Which is yes. weird. Because <laughs> yeah. there's yes. uh, Danielle McDonald is in it as well. And uh, her clone does not look like Danielle McDonald. No. Um, it, it felt like... God, I want to like... I don't want to say it's like sorry to bother you because it's definitely not like sorry to bother you, but it's like it's it's an out it's an it's an outlandish idea. It's it's really ambitious. I don't I don't know who's going to pick that movie up. I don't know if it's ever going to find a distributor. It's going to probably wind up on like you know direct to VOD or something. Some like two years later down the road, but. It's a shame because I feel like the female voice of that movie, you know, she definitely has talent, you know, like visually. And yeah. The performances, for the most part, were really good. But I do, I do get, I mean, it, you're right. It is kind of a mess. But I don't. I still yeah. don't. I still don't dislike it. I don't know why. Uh-huh. Well, and I, I haven't seen this yet, but it, it speaks to a lot of things that show at Sundance, where it's a first movie, and you think that this person is going to make the set. The second movie is probably going to really, you know, elements are going to cohere that didn't in the first one, but they're going to, you know. They they only get one. I mean, I realize that you can direct shorts, but I mean, when you're directing features, you really you're making so few of them that you know. Really, when it's your first time, you know, I, I saw several films that I thought were really promising that may not have been great for what they were, but you know, I think the second one is going to be really interesting. something interesting yeah. and good. Yeah, well, like was- the pieces were there. It just I for me didn't fully like click it did right it felt like a puzzle that was missing pieces yeah that's a good way of putting it what's another thing that you were a little let down by um one that like was okay maybe like lukewarm was a movie called them that follow which was a a film about pentecostal uh, a pentecostal religious organization in the backwoods of like somewhere in in the woods (laughs) And it was a slow burn kind of movie that was interesting, like snake handling and, and that whole thing. But a lot of felt a little slow to me, like the the general idea of a girl being torn between her religion and her pastor father versus the boy that she actually loves, who was kind of against the religion. And, and that struggle was interesting, but it was a bit of a slow burn for me that I I. Yeah, it was like maybe slightly forgettable as well. I hate to say. My um, my three. I actually remember when you guys were talking of my the one that I actually really really hated this year. There was one that I really really hated. Um, I want to start off saying that the death of Dick Long did not work for me whatsoever. I feel like if you do not find the joke or the twist, whatever the hell that they want to call that, the reveal, funny, this entire movie doesn't work. 
Do you feel that way? You have to. You have to be in on the. Yes. So full disclosure, like I know the people who made the movie, um, and so I know their sense of humor, and I I didn't know the twist going into it, but I am not surprised. That's what it was. Um, it isn't for everyone. Like this comedy, I wouldn't show my parents. Right. Let's say. Um, but yeah, I could. I would agree. Like if if you aren't sold on that, it, it's it's not a traditional comedy. It's, right. Yeah. It feels like a, a like it wants to be the Cohen like a Cohen Brothers movie in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And then as someone who absolutely adored Swiss Army Man, right. I couldn't help but be like, this is all they got. Like I know it's only one half of the Daniels, but mm-hmm. I just was not impressed whatsoever and i know a lot of people were talking about it because of the the shock value of what it was but to me it's this is like a gag that like has been a joke for hillbilly stereotypes for so long that when it was revealed i was just kind of like oh okay i guess that's funny and i just and then it just kept going and i was like oh god when is this going to end um that was one that didn't work for me uh i know steven Slightly disagrees with me on this one, but big time adolescence <laughs> did not work for me. Oh yeah, uh, that movie did not work. Um, th- this is you know in a in a year when we had so many films about women and people of color, to just see a standard white guy movie bromance kind of like oh he's this nice clean cut white guy is you know making friends with the bad white guy like it just was like oh god do we really need another one of these movies mm-hmm. and i know people love pete davidson i know i get it i get it he's fine and he was hilarious at the end of the q a i wish he was that funny in the movie as he was in the q a he was great <laughs> i'm glad i sit around for the q a because uh-huh. jesus after the movie like no um but it's just like I, that did not work for me but the movie that i absolutely hated absolutely freaking hated and everyone who i seem to walk out of this theater with also hated was a movie called share which i oh, thought was going to be like the next eighth grade oh and disappointing this, this is just like like we all know bad stuff happens on social media you know videos get shared blah 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 and this movie just follows this girl as she's like struggling to kind of like comes to terms with what happened and it just it's meandering. It just keeps going and going and going. And it just, it has no resolution. And it just keeps going and going and going. And you just, you're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for something exciting to, to be revealed. Nothing. And it, the way that it ends, it just, it's like the biggest freaking cop out that I've ever seen. And I just remember walking out of that theater because it was at the Eccles. I waited until the very last screen to see it. And everyone was like, oh. That was so boring. That didn't go anywhere. Like I like wow. usually the Sundance crowd, like even if I don't like something, there's usually either mixed response or like people like either really love it or really hate it. But th- this this was the one where like I just felt like not a single person in the theater had a positive thing to say when I was walking out. Another movie that I felt that way about that I actually sorta of liked that it's a mess of a film was Sunlit Night or something like that with Jenny Slate. Uh, I actually thought it, the first part of it was really funny, but then it went off the rails and it was just bad. But that was another one where I heard negative. Those were the two ones that I felt like were really negative uh, out of Sundance this year. Um, any last last minute shout out, something that you haven't talked about that you think people should see if it's at another festival? Let's see. Um I think I literally talked about every movie Everything I saw. saw. I saw Velvet Buzzsaw, but that's on Netflix now. Yeah. You can see it. You can see it. Yeah. You can see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, a shout out to uh, Minhal Beg's uh, Hala that uh, has, uh, I'm, I'm picking all the ones with the difficult uh, pretend to pronounce actors in it. Uh, Geraldine uh, Vis, Vis... The girl from Blockers. The girl from who's Blockers. Who's much better in this movie than she is in Blockers. She's incredible <laughs> in the film. And um, it's a really, really sweet... And I, 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 you know, sweet is an interesting word for this movie. It's very, very provocative. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and I thought really, really interesting to this was one of the ones where I really had my perspective changed on some or you know, seeing it through a different culture's eyes. I really thought it was a really interesting movie in that regard. Um 
The other one that's a lot of fun that um, I can't talk about, and I'm glad that we're saving it until the end so I don't have to do a plot synopsis, um, this one called The Amazing Jonathan Documentary. This was like the catfish or the tickled or, you know, the one that it's a lot of fun to watch and uh, you don't want to tell anybody about what it's about, but, you know, the surprise is there and it's a fun movie once you find out what it is. Okay. I am I'm so interested in seeing this movie, so i got to say it. Um, hopefully I'll see it soon. I might have to ask for a link. Um, for me, the one movie that I feel like no one has mentioned and no one is talking about out of, out of the Sundance is a little movie called Loose. And um, this is a very interesting um, film about a teacher and a student relationship that kind of goes a little crazy. And it's all about these expectations we put on people and the potential that they're supposed to live up to because of the fact that this kid uh, is, is a black kid who was raised by a white family and he's so smart and he has to live up to all these these expectations that this teacher played by Octavia Spencer is making him live up to. And throughout the course of the film, we find out how flawed her character is and how she has a family member who's kind of like going unnoticed and like she should be spending more of her focus on spending time with her sister. And there's also this whole theory about like how... We have to, people have to be one way or they have to be another. There's no middle ground anymore. And I just really thought this was a powerful exploration of um, black culture in a lot of ways. And I just thought it was a really well made film. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it for this episode. Uh, we, were, we went through it really quickly. Um, uh, real quick, guys, uh, let's start with you, Morgan. Go. Where can they find you? Where can they find you on social and all that good stuff? Um, you can find me on social media at Cinemacy on um, Instagram and Facebook, I believe, and at Cinemacy Speaks on Twitter. And uh, my site is the Movable Fest, uh, MovableFest.com, and uh, you can find us on Twitter as well, uh, at MovableFest. And I am Scott Menzel. You can find me at the other Scott M on Twitter and Instagram and also at WeLiveEntertainment.com. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, let us know in the comment box below if you've seen any movies that were at Sundance. Let us know what you thought. And we'll be back next week. Thank you. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.